Hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 122 with Errolson Hugh, who is the co-founder and mastermind behind the Berlin-based apparel company, Acronym. Errolson joins us this week to share how constantly traveling has affected his creative mind, how self-reflection has affected how he and his partner have built Acronym, and his perspective on the future of the fashion design industry. Today's episode is proudly presented to you by LearnSquared. LearnSquared is a brand new art education platform founded, created, curated, and powered by industry-leading artists. Enrollment for our eight-week courses are now open, including my UI and data design for film. I have received numerous requests to teach you all what I know in regards to my UI design work. So here we go, guys. This is going to be a lot of fun. We also have courses by the mighty Jama Jurabayev, who needs no introduction. We've had him on the podcast. He's a, an amazing artist, an awesome person, has a lot of really awesome things to teach you all. Also, Muche Kuchada, who's my co-teacher. We're going to be teaching one another on this. It's going to be a lot of fun. He's an amazing artist. He's going to be teaching me some really great tricks and vice versa. And also John, Anthony Jones, who's been on the podcast at least three times. So I'm sure you guys are all familiar with his work. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we have limited seats available for our personal mentorship. So head over to learnsquare.com for more information and experience the power of two. Here we go, everybody. This is going to be a powerful one. Episode 122 with Errolson Hugh. Let's roll. that I was talking about articulating interviews uh, the other day because I listened to a lot of people interview. I was actually listening to a lot of Robert Rodriguez, how he interviews. He's fucking brilliant at it, actually. Yeah, yeah. I watched, a, I think I posted yesterday or today or whatever that was. And, uh, the Del Toro? Yeah, the Del Toro one. How fucking cool wow. is that? So good. <laughs> so sick. Yeah. It's like, wow, because like, I actually was able to work with him um, vicariously. doing. I did a poster for the specific Rim movie that he made, and yeah. he he had the best feedback I've ever gotten from anybody. I love that guy so much. His email just pretty much said, fuck yeah, with like the longest <laughs> yeah I've ever seen in an email, all caps, straight from Del Toro. I'm like, uh, yeah, I pretty much love you forever. <laughs> this is awesome. Such an, such an amazing guy. Um, but getting to know about how hard it was for him, you know, to, to develop himself and, and how he just, he said he was stubborn like a donkey and stuff. And, um, it's really amazing. It was really inspiring, which I'm sure, um, somebody like yourself as prolific as you are can relate to a lot of those aspects, you know? So, um, hugely. I mean, as you just said now with positive feedback, it's like, I'm always surprised when anyone knows our work. And, um, I just came back from London this morning and yesterday did a, uh, and what they called an innovators talk very Nike uh, for Nike for the shoe launch that we did. And, you know, so many people came out to shoe and I was so, um, I'm still surprised when people know our work because, you know, we, we'd started what we did. We started back in 2002 as our first product and for so many years, you know, nobody was interested in, we just got used to just doing the thing for ourselves and heads down and, and just going for it. Um, without any kind of feedback, really, with no one really noticing. So when people do reach out and are like, yeah, no, appreciate this and understand it, it's always, it's still a surprise to me. Yeah, how do you digest that? Because your ingredients as building this company from the ground up have, like you said, it's, you know, not getting acknowledged and kind of being 
as you mentioned, kind of somewhat ignored. How do you go from that then to kind of having this global fame, um, perhaps? And does that, is that add to the equation of, of your decision-making when you're creating the products that you do? I would say actually not as much as, uh, I would think it does because we're so the good thing about having that period of, you know, relative anonymity was that we were, we just were able to go so deeply into our own groove. And, um, and now we really kind of have figured out like what works for us and how we do what we do and we just keep doing it. And, uh, and then also with the industry that I work in, the way it works, you know, you're, I mean, like yours, uh, you're so far ahead that the feedback that you're getting is a lot of the times, you know, if you were to implement it, it's still two years, you know, a year and a half down the road. So, yeah, yeah, there, it, it, I remember hearing, I can't remember if maybe it was when in one of Robert's interviews, but one of the, somebody said something really profound, I thought, and they said that once you release something, it's no longer yours. Um, and I I was talking about this actually with one of my friends, Tom York actually mentioned a bit about it, like where he hates the moment where he has to release his album because there's this precious thing that you make with the people that you love and you keep, you create it very close and tight. If the thing that you love is very precious to you. And then the moment that you release it, it becomes this fucking thing that people destroy or they make something (laughs) amazing out of, you know, it goes two ways. Um, it goes many ways actually, but um, it's just like you said, when you release something, you're already two years ahead. And in your mind, as a creative mind, I know as I've, cause I've watched a lot of your things, you're 20 years ahead. So when they're <laughs> critiquing you, you're like, bitch, that's 22 years old. You know, like, bitch, please get out of here. You know, like, <laughs> which is kind of ironic and funny in the, in how slow it takes to will things into reality. Right. Yeah. I don't think many people really have a clear understanding of just what a struggle it is. And, uh, that's one of the things I really appreciate about this this podcast is that you get a chance to hear that you know this the the trials and the struggles are they're actually quite a universal thing yes and across mediums and across disciplines and uh, um, people often mention you know the ten thousand hours and hmm. I often wonder if, if that's really enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's actually a good point is it a life right it's it's a it's yeah. it's it's your entire your entire existence yeah um, pretty much. And anyone I speak to who's doing work, you know, on a level that I, that resonates with me, they have the same, the same story. And, um, do you feel that 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 connection, that thread of connection comes from the will of bringing things to reality and, and, and that connection that, you know, as a prolific person that that person had to work hard for that. Do you, do you feel that connection? Absolutely. Um, I've also noticed that if I really, really connect with someone's work, you know, 95% of the time, maybe even more, um, there's a, it's, it's a mutual thing, you know, because the same, you know, intrinsic values that are expressed in the work somehow manage to get through to the other person. And if you connect with someone's work, chances are they'll connect with yours as well. And, uh, that's always an amazing thing. Yeah. I, th- I think that's really what defines, uh, there's, I, I often think of, um, I like collaborating with people because I find, uh, the saying iron sharpens iron, very relative as far as how good I become. Uh, I'm very much an environmental creator. Are you the same way? Do you find that you get inspiration? You live in, in Berlin, which is, uh, I've mentioned it many times on the podcast before, but it's one of my favorite cities I've ever visited before. 
it's just has, well, I haven't been there in winter, so I can't, <laughs> I went there in like peak epic season. Yeah. So it's a different monster from what I've heard. Um, but, uh, it's just, um, it's hard to explain. It's, it's filled with life, but it has, it's filled with organization. So it's like an organized chaos of just brilliance. It's, it's like kind of like San Francisco turned up like 12 notches and a little less pretentious, you know, that's, that's how it feels to me. And I, do you feel that being in that environment are you still in berlin still in berlin in berlin right now actually awesome um it's a very special place i have to say i've come to appreciate it more the longer i've i stay here Mm. and um i moved here you know basically for personal reasons not for any kind of work related thing um and then the personal stuff basically went sideways right after that so for a while i was like what am i doing here (laughs) i don't even like it and then uh but, you know, as things developed, uh, now it's like hard to imagine not being here. And mm-hmm. uh, the advantages, you know, especially just coming back from London yesterday, you know, the difference in, in what's possible here and the amount of space there is for to attempt new things. You know, it's just, it's kind of anomalous um, being the capital and the most interesting and the biggest city in Germany, but then at the same time, the least expensive to operate in. For now, uh, yeah, for now, I've heard yeah. it's changing quite a bit because everybody's realizing the nest egg it, that it is this beautiful, yeah. this beautiful gem that's kind of was forgotten. Um, for yeah, those that don't good. know the history, I'm not a real history connoisseur of Berlin itself, but after the wars, um, it was damaged pretty badly and a lot of people left and it was kind of just a place where a lot of artists and creative types were able to um, afford to live and be able to flourish. There's a lot of amazing food, exchange of ideas, creative output. And um, I've heard it. I've heard it's on the on the rise of change. It was kind of crazy for me because, you know, I'm American and I have, you know, it's it's like 7-Elevens everywhere in California. It's just like a stucco. <laughs> fucking void of just I don't, i'm not a real big fan of the architecture here not too much some we have some brilliant stuff every once in a while but when i went to germany and and, and berlin in particular i was just floored because it's so old i was i could see rounds of ammunition holes and the walls oh, yeah. and i'm like fucking hell man that is insanity that there was a war front right here and I'm just buying like a bagel or something. This is insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you, you just don't get that richness um, here where I live. You know, it's, it's too new. And there's something beautiful about that. My brain was just going nuts off of it. So that's yeah. an incredible thing to go for a walk here at night. And uh, and having done that when I got here a lot and being jet lagged a lot of the time, I would wander around you know, mm, for yeah. hours. And, you know, you come to realize that's kind of like, the whole 20th century went down here. Like yeah. it, uh, it just, you know, it's as far as history goes, you know, the, you know, the, the world war, the Berlin wall, the cold war, and, you know, and then perestroika, the falling of the wall and the entire thing. It's just like, it's stay, it's there. It, you feel yeah. it. It resonates there. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're standing somewhere on an intersection. And like you said, you know, there's a Starbucks there and there's a McDonald's there. And you'll look over and there's a photo, you know, of what, how it used to be. And you're like, wow, right where I'm standing, there used to be tanks facing off a couple hundred feet. (laughs) Fucking nuts, man. It's a trip. It's a total trip. And the people of Germany that I, that I encountered were just some of the 
best people I've ever met close to Japan. It was just like very humbled and very, and, and very smart and、um, just amazing people, very welcoming and, and awesome. And yeah, it was just, yeah, if I had to pick a city outside of where I live now, obviously I'm in northern San Diego, which is close to paradise as you can get, I think, and just <laughs> in the, the concrete jungle. I grew up in Hawaii, so it's quite a bit different, but I'm trying to be somewhat close to that climate. But、um, if I could, definitely I'd love to spend time out in Berlin and shout out to all my Berlin folks, my family out there, all my peoples. So, because I love it out there, it's really great. I can't wait to go out there again. This is really awesome. But, Excellent. Yeah. I love California too. My brother lives in LA and、okay. as often as I can, I try to get out there and see the sun. I find it's a really good antidote to the Berlin winter. Yeah, <laughs> so, I would imagine. That's exactly, exactly what you need. Well, you're, you're a world traveler though, right? I mean, you're representing、um, a, a company that's being represented worldwide. So, like you said, you have a lot of jet lag. You're traveling quite a bit, right? Yeah, I would guess it's. Around six months of the year that I'm on the road.、Shit. And unfortunately, it's in little tiny chunks most of the time for like、oh, know, yeah. a week or a couple of days. And、uh, it gets a little hectic. I'm trying to scale that back now because it's you know, at the point where I've been doing it hard probably seven years like that. And then it's definitely now becoming kind of an impediment to growth <laughs> rather than、uh, for a while it was definitely a plus because you just got exposed to so many things. But sure. But now I feel like I really do need to put in more hours just in the studio and、uh, without falling asleep. <laughs> It's distracting, right? Yeah, because traveling is very, very tiring. I was just talking with the, about this with my friend James last night because he's traveling a lot as well. And it's very draining, it's very exhausting,、um, changing altitudes and also all the sickness that goes through the, the circulated air. And just the massive amount of farts in the airplane. <laughs> It's like, ah, fuck. I've actually looked at it that way before, and I'm not sure I want to, actually. <laughs> Every time I get on a plane, I'm like, who the fuck farted? That's always the question that I ask. And I'm sitting next to an old woman. I'm like, did this old lady just fart? Because this, this is disgusting, man. Like, <laughs> and I'm too big, I'm too tall, and nothing's made for me. I'm like, damn it. So, yeah. The irony. I told Andrew, I told you that story about Anthony when he was flying. No. Oh, how the lady passed out in the toilet and just shat all over herself right in、oh, front of him. No. <laughs> like, it up. And the stewardess is like, hey,、uh, would you like to eat something like right after? And he's like, <laughs> he looked at her like,、wow. no, what the fuck is wrong with you? The woman、That's、just、crazy. shat on my feet. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways. That's good. <laughs> Good old travel stories. When you travel, though, you encounter a lot of really interesting adversity, different people of different walks of life. And one thing I love about getting on a plane, though, when I go through the aisles and I wonder and I look around and go, I wonder what the fuck you do for a living. Or I wonder what you do for a living. Or I wonder how you got to be here. And, and it's always, my mind always goes crazy. You have the same kind of experience when you go through traveling. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, especially, I find that more in airports than in、uh, than the actual, than actually in the plane. But, yeah. And yeah, I mean, people are just, when you start to talk to them, do you always find out the craziest stories? Things you can't make up, right? It's like, yeah. Like,、uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't even fathom, you know, because what people do in reality is almost crazier than fiction sometimes, you know, and meeting those、yeah. people. But traveling, I think, 
like like you said though when you were first doing it i imagine you were like fuck yeah i'm getting to travel to do what i love and and meet and encounter people but now so there's a shift in in your creative flow where you want to be at the home base more creating is that what it is yeah it's definitely that and um it's just at some point you realize i mean the team here is growing the our business is growing and um now it's you know the goal I guess the, the the obstacles we face now as a company, as a brand are much more related to the structure of the company hmm. and uh, how we operate beyond above and beyond, you know, simply creating the product and designing the product, which has been definitely, you know, the focus for 99% of what we've been doing up until now. And uh, going forwards, I think that'll remain, you know, it's definitely still going to be the focus, but we do have to add a couple of other things and a few other elements to the puzzle to make it work the way it could and should. And uh, those things are more strategic in nature and, and kind of require uh, me to have a direct connection to everyone else that's, you know, in the studio and, and the things that are happening here every day. So, yeah, that's often an interesting thing when you consider success, um, sometimes people, I, I think, embrace the idea of failure and, and, and embracing that concept. But sometimes it's really important to embrace and understand that you might be very successful in how to deal with that success. And like where I'm hearing from you is you're in the growth stage of the next tier, what I imagine, as you guys are growing into this next entity, which is we'll going to... Yeah. <laughs> but, but then <laughs> it's like your problems are completely different, right? And they're coming from you from all That's angles. And you're like, what the fuck? That's like, I got to deal with... like health services and janitorial services and like things you would never even have thought about. Um, do you find that that's more taxing? Do you, do you, are you um, concerned about overgrowing or you, cause I know that one thing that you said, I thought was really beautiful in one of your interviews. You said that you're smaller, smarter, faster, and more nimble as a company. And that's something I really admire because that's when you can make fast decisions, good decisions, pure decisions, you know, as you grow, exactly. are you yeah. considering so, I mean, those things? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, we're always going to be a lean organization, you know, compared to the way most people operate. But when I say we have to add some parts, I mean, like, we don't even have a sales manager. <laughs> there's no PR <laughs> person. There's no, so awesome. if somebody's writing copy for the stuff, it's me. If, uh, you know, someone's asking, can we get an interview? They get an answer from me. There's no, um, we have a whole, you know, sections of, of the company don't exist and, wow. uh, that are basically like the, the, the structural building blocks of any normal apparel company. You know, some of them we've just flat out canceled and, uh, have figured out kind of our own way to get around that. And, um, for the most part, that's been a plus for sure. Um, particularly because of the speed and because of the leanness and, and there's no one to, you know, when we decide to do something, we don't have to discuss it with anybody. We just sit down and, and make it. And then with, uh, you know, for example, our director, Cantonio Yamamoto, he's, he's in the same room as the pattern maker. So as this, you know, the products we're making come together, he already sees the entire process and whether or not he's consciously working on, you know, how the video is going to turn out for that, um, subconsciously he's absorbing all of that and when it comes to actually going shoot it this is a you know that's when it really pays off yeah no i think it's really awesome to to hear how small and then at the same time how conscious you are of making sure you 
keep those precious ingredients because um, you I also remember hearing you talk about um, referring to um, the way you perceive your own company and the, your reality and connecting it to like how chefs connect with food and I find a lot of it's all the same thing to me too it's all creativity one's a little yes. bit you know one one you can eat one you can wear one you can look at and get inspired it's all it's all similar and different um, but I think keeping those precious ingredients like the smaller faster, um, smarter and more nimble aspect of your company. I think that's a very key thing because it's, it's easy to, 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 to expand and, and, and lose sight, I think, um, without even knowing, right. You know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when we had started acronym back in the day, at that time we were doing a lot of, you know, freelance contract work for other companies. Hmm. And that was amazing because we got to see the insides of these organizations and, and how they did things and, how they made decisions or um, developed products. And it became very clear to us, you know, like, you know, out of, you know, in a, in a sense, out of frustration, you know, we made acronym infrastructure set up so that it was, we didn't have to compromise on anything. And, um, and the way we got around having to do that was by staying as small as possible. And, that certainly paid off in the long run. In the short run, I think for quite a while, I was like, wow, what are we doing? This is crazy. <laughs> this is it's taking awesome. so long. But, uh, you know, in the, um, I've seen a lot of other companies come and go and uh, who started a lot faster and went a lot higher, more quickly than we did. Yeah. And they they just don't even exist anymore. So they burn out like okay. a star. You, you're, what you're yeah. saying about your infrastructure in the system is it mirrors film. Actually, it's incredibly this it's oh, basically sure. the same, you know, yeah. the, some of the best films come from very small amounts of people working very in sync and smarter, faster. It's like Elon with, with SpaceX, for example, the way yeah. that he's beating NASA to their game because he's smarter They're not smarter necessarily, but he's faster quicker, more nimble, yes. the decisions are made faster. And, and I, and it's, it's really awesome to hear this from you and, and also see it's just reaffirming my theories as far as to how you make a great product and setting up teams to do so, you know, cause it's all people, it's a people industry, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's really great. One of the best one of the about design and design management is actually, it's not a design book at all. It's the, the skunk works book. Hmm. And, uh, you know, where they describe how that engineering squad works. And um, in some sense, there's so many parallels because, you know, they had the engineers right on the production floor and they could get up from their desks and walk over and look at how the engine was being built. Yeah. And, uh, Isn't that fucking that, cool? It's crazy. <laughs> That's how right? it should be, though, you know. When yeah, I when I watch videos of you in your studio, you're touching the material, you're using it, you're in connection with it. Instead of looking over a video and talking about it through distance, yeah. you're you have that's, this that's sensation. Yeah. yeah, that's the reason in my job, you know, I have to travel so much because with apparel, particularly the kind we do, you have to try it on. There's no there is no other way to understand if it's working or how it works than to have it in your hands and on your body and, and see how it moves and, and behaves. And uh, you just, there's no way to simulate that. So, yeah. And the same thing goes for, for iterating and, and testing things. The, the more you can test and the more iterations you can go through, the better the thing is going to get. There's just no it's time. There's no, there's no secret to it. It's just, 
um, brute force (laughs) and and discipline and that's it. So bringing things into reality, as you mentioned, is a very tough thing. I watched a couple other interviews. You have some really amazing interviews and it was getting me really excited for this arc talk because, um, your wave, your articulation and how you're explaining your process as far as creative process and building a new line, for example. One of the things you mentioned is that you guys always have an original from your line so you can reference it because then you use that as a, as a benchmark basically to build from, is that a common trait that you found in other companies? Is that something that you've learned or is that something that you guys have instilled in your inner fabric and building? Um, that's something we saw for the first time in Italy. Um, the designer Massimo Ostley, who mm. founded Stone Island and CB Company and so many other brands. Um, we had the good fortune to end up at his studio before really even understanding who he was, because um, we were working on another project and the company we were working for um, was negotiating with them uh, of, of a possible purchase of their brand. And so we ended up serendipitously at the studio in Bologna and you know the so the archive is you know some 22,000 items at the time so you drove into this this the space and there were rail cars you know stacked up and laid out in the parking lot full of military samples and then you went inside the building and you know I can't remember how many thousands of square meters this place was but it was massive <laughs> and um Basically, anything you could imagine, like any, you know, like I need a, you know, NBC suit from the U.S. Army from this period. And they had it, you know, there was no need to go anywhere and look for it. And one of the guys who worked there had been his job for the previous 20 years, basically, to collect samples. Hmm. So he spent his whole time traveling the world and looking for rare and unusual items of clothing. Um and then, you know, that whole process really drove it home for us. Like, Jesus, this is, this is how you get this level of resolution. There's no way to, to, um, to simulate it. You actually have to have the piece in front of you. And, and then, so he had that archive and then he had the archive of stuff that he had made. And which was, again, one of everything they did, they kept. And I actually think they might even have had two because um, they also had items that they worked with, meaning they would have physically, you know, cut up and uh, mocked it, put back together, like, you know, Frankenstein's back together to make new things out of. And, um, but I believe there was also an additional archive that was just like, hands off, don't touch. This is just the history. So That's awesome. It's really cool yeah, to hear kind of- your process too, of learning from other people, learning from, other companies and industries, I think it's a very smart thing and a very um, important thing for people to pay attention to. I always considered working for companies when I first started or I got out of school was this is education, but I'm getting paid for it. And I'm learning how what I don't want to do when I go and do things. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's more or less like I learned what I didn't want to do and how I didn't want to run a company or how I didn't want to live my life, you know. It's odd though. Do you ever find yourself making the same mistakes and looking back going like, shit, like I didn't want to make this mistake, but now I'm stuck because of compromise. Do you ever find yourself in those situations? Yeah. I mean, the universe puts you in situations until you think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's hard to jump away too far from reality. 
Um, but at the same time, it's, it's really difficult to, um, but I think it's, it's, it's also important to self-evaluate. That's one thing I wanted to ask you. Um, you seem like you might have somewhat of a, a, a spiritual connection. I know you mentioned, uh, martial arts and stuff. It's something I'm very big on. I love it so much. I practice jujitsu. It's one of my, the key ingredients in my, my, my quality of life, um, uh, do you find yourself doing self-reflection and do you practice martial arts at all still? Do you have time for it? And if so, what type? Yeah, that's something that's definitely in my near future. Also very much related to less traveling is getting back to more of a regular practice. Um, my entire career in some respect was kicked off my case karate. And uh, my understanding of closing and apparel was basically rooted in that. And now I, I did it seriously from probably the age of 10 until mid twenties. And, uh, at that point, you know, life gets in the way, school gets in the way, work, jobs, whatever. And now I'm at the stage where I really need to get back to that to kind of recharge and, and make sure I'm not, you know, drifting off, uh, and where my physical training will actually, I, I feel, directly benefit my my work. So that's something I'm going to focus on again in the future. Um, it's easy to let that slip, though, huh? Yeah, it's very easy to let that slip. It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and, and just be like, all right, I'm too tired and I'm going home or uh, I'm not going to do anything today. But, um, but it's critical. It's vital. And uh, the other thing I got from the martial arts that's, is also the work ethic and uh you know my karate instructor was hugely influential in in my development and just the fact of repetition and the fact of you know you don't the basics are what makes you advanced you know the more times you do something the better you get at it and you know if you can do 10 then you do 10 and then you can't and you need another 10 and then you another 10 (laughs) and that whole methodology of, of, of going after something above and beyond what you think is possible is, is kind of one of the the core elements of the studio and of, of acronym. So, yeah, I can feel it through and through. And that's the thing I think I really appreciate about what you're doing because it is really becomes an identity as a very pure one. And it's very much, uh, what you represent from what I can feel. And it's really cool just as an outsider, be able to tell you that, like, and I can feel the essence there, you know, um, by the way that you're perceived and how you expose your, um, passion, fashion, uh, it comes across with, uh, those different little nuances and stuff, which is great. I think that's really important. I think a lot of companies that are very large in scale, they will go to the ends of the earth to try and find that because it's a very hard ingredient to fulfill because it's very personal. But you're, I think you're able to manage that pretty naturally because it seems like you infuse passion and what you enjoy into everything. Uh, that's a really key, a special thing. You know, I think it's a very uh, unique thing. And I think it's like my brother would always say like, no, cause I would ask him when I was a kid, you think I'll be successful? And he's like, you know what, no matter what you do, if you do it with a complete intention and love, people will respond well to it. And and it's never served me wrong through my entire career because it's always been one true thing that I can always go back to and go, well, I put all my honest effort into it. You know? Exactly. And that's really yeah. important, you know. No, there's no substitute for just, you know, getting down and doing the work and, and pushing as hard as you can. And uh, when you do, it may not come back to you in the way you expect it, but, you know, 
that energy that goes out will definitely return at some point. Absolutely. And, yeah. Mm. Do you consider goodness. yourself a spiritual person? Um, yeah, I think so. Not in any kind of conventional way. Sure. Uh, you know, but, um, one of the things we, we spend most of our time or an inordinate amount of time discussing when we do something is, is why are we doing this? And, uh, you know, we often would like to say that, you know, even our customers, like, you know, buy less stuff, you know, make, but make sure the things that you do buy from us are the things you actually need and want. And, um, it's the reason for doing things is for us often more important than actually what we're doing. And so in that respect, you know, I, now I, pl- I apply that to the, every aspect of, of my life. Um, I can't really help it, actually. I wish I could just be sometimes just be like super light about it, be easy, and be just like, yeah, no, whatever. But uh, I'm just not that kind of person. So yeah, you seem to be engineered in, the, in that way. It seems that that's what it, um, your approach to life and living. Self reflection is something that's interesting as a part of this conversation um, because I think that's a very important thing that um, people often lack. Uh, but having a self-reflection moment, do you have a daily a routine or something or, um, your business partner is Michaela. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Right. Which is a very important, uh, part of this conversation as well, because it's who you've developed this child with basically this amazing entity. Um, so definitely want to dig into your partnership, uh, things, but the self-reflection is a very important thing. And when you mentioned bringing forth products and, and one other thing I thought was really great and I totally agree with is buying less, buying better, um, having less and enjoying what you have is a very uh, important thing. Abundance is great, but uh, too much is, it gets out of hand but as far as um i'm bouncing around here sorry but the self-reflection thing is a very important thing so do, are you guys very cautious and aware prior to making something as far as like we're going to do this i noticed that you guys use a lot of narrative and stuff when you build things um but does the self-reflection do you think it's a key aspect to your creative process it's hugely important um i think particularly with not only the product, but also with the company itself. Uh, you brought up Michaela, and I think the key thing that made Acronym possible was actually all the self-reflection that Michaela and I did together before we started the brand. Mm. And um, you know, we would spend hours and hours and hours discussing, you know, like what are we really about? What do we want to do? Why do we want to do it? And um, we would just, you know, make a big pot of tea and sit on the couch for forever. And uh, and figure these, talk these things out. And, and that we realized at some point, you know, it was like, we always felt that that interaction and that discussion, that was our real advantage that we had over other companies or other, other um, organizations. Because once we had, you know, arrived at a, a place we felt comfortable with or a reason we were satisfied with for doing something that was able to drive us so clearly um, towards that goal all we had to do really was then, you know, follow it, which uh, sometimes is easier than others. But sure. um, a lot of distractions. Knew, yeah, yeah, exactly. But we always knew what we should do. And uh, yeah, so that's actually a very good point. Um, You're both self-made very, too, huh? Um, yeah, largely. I mean, much more largely than I would actually like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Yeah. But, but building your own path is a very unique thing. You know, you mentioned your connection to martial arts and self-reflection, but I think the self-made path is, is the only way to really approach this. So, um, if you were to had been given the, the powers of whatever your, your mat, your sensei or something instantly, um, the power would probably be too much and you wouldn't understand it, but by developing your own path and rhythm, do you feel that it's a very important process, a step to take if you're going to be jumping into this venture and know how hard it is and be self-made? Is that part of the aspects that you think is are important ingredients? I would say yes and no. Yes, because obviously everything you do, all of the obstacles you face and the ones you overcome and the ones you don't shape who you are and shape where you go. Um, and then no, because if we would have known, you know, how difficult this was going to be, we probably wouldn't have done it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I hear that from so many people though. And I I would say the same thing too about making films and directing and writing and and building video games. And when I sit there and I'm like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Like, fuck this man. Like I'm not sleeping. I haven't been sleeping ever. And like, this is driving me nuts. But when I look back, (laughs) when I look back at it and I know, I'm sure you must feel the same way when you look back and you see your line or you see this big accomplishment and it's there and it's behind you, you can, all those hardships, I don't know if you're the same as me, but that you I have a hopeless romantic quality in the way I create where I go, it was all worth it, you know, because it's done. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that's a part of it. That's the equation, you know, that's part of the ingredients. I'm always interested to see how everybody works and the ticking, the, the elements that make, uh, you know, what you do so unique to your own things. You mentioned it in, in a few other interviews too, which I find fascinating, the implementation of technology. Um, I know that's something that you're fascinated with, correct? Yes. And so how important is it in your design process is thinking about functionality and technology when you're creating these amazing pieces of artwork? Because I consider them art, really, uh, wearable you. art, which is incredibly beautiful. I've only been able to touch and check out a couple pieces in person. I think I saw some in Germany and I saw some in Japan. I'm like, fuck, yep. I got to go to like abstract worlds to, t- to to experience these things. They're very unique <laughs> products. Um, but how important are the technology and the functional sides of your decision-making when you're creating these things? Um, at, at their root, they're, I mean, they're obviously very important. The idea for acronym actually sprang out of our exposure to the technologies that were at the time being used for other things. So active sports were industrial military applications. Um, and we were learning about them and knew they existed. And we're just like, why can't we have this for everyday life? And, um, that was kind of the, the very simple premise that, that led to the birth of acronym. And then on a conceptual level though, we like to think of technology more as quality. Hmm. So, we will definitely explore something and like a new technology, but we're very, very wary of, of things that are, you know, because technology can also be overhyped and often the new way of doing something isn't necessarily the better way. So we really like to investigate things that are new and make sure that they are actually better, or actually doing something new. Or, you know, if there's a new material, the question is then, well, what can this do that no other material can do? Mm. And and how do we use the new technology to explore some new space? Otherwise, it can very quickly become another form of decoration, really. Yeah. 
Yes, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting things that I can tell that you're dig- digging into automotive um, fabrics and materials, um, doing different treatments to activate different properties of the materials. So a lot of it's this alchemy of exploration, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tempered very, very seriously by, you know, practical realities of, you know, can we actually get the factory to do this? <laughs> Is this a predictable result? Is it, you know, can we guarantee the quality and with apparel, the, the thing is that it's like, it is, you know, in some sense art, but it is a, a, a very, another very real sense. It's, it's a tool. It's a, it's something you rely on and depend on it. It, just, it has to work. And uh, you have to be able to store the washing machine and it has to last for years. So, yeah. And those balancing out those, you know, conceptual aspirations with the practical realities is a never ending source of tension, but, also in a good way so that's what makes things exciting and and interesting and and resolving that tension is often what leads to some of the most interesting solutions i think having a box to create in um depends on the type of box if you have a box that's made by somebody that doesn't know how to make a box it's hard to put it in there (laughs) that makes sense but if you have your own box and you're and you know the parameters because one thing i've noticed like i mentioned it earlier thing i really admire about your approach is you have this narrative and by having a narrative, it really helps establish, well, let's make a fictional world and let's have qualities that pertain to this world. And all this, all of a sudden, everything that you build has this elaborate, it's, it's like when J.R. Tolkien was making Hobbit, he would create Elvish and all that stuff. And he was going deep into the rabbit hole of, of, of imagination do you find that that's also a very key aspect to kind of how, cause you're, you're using the narrative, but you're also um, understanding the box, right? The, this has to be wearable. This has to be functional. This has to have technology. It also has to be comfortable. Um, but the narrative, how important is the, the narrative aspect as far as, as, as keeping you fulfilled as a creative? Um, when you say the narrative, do you mean the narrative of the brand or, like, let's say like a line, for example, like you come out with a line. Um, so it, one thing I notice is you'll have um, kind of, a, I don't know if narrative is the right word, but you'll have a, an imaginative process as far as like how you explain the why and the decisions you made to make the, the product, basically. Is that part of your, is part of your creative process as far as making these things? Yeah, I think there's always an aspect of that that kind of, I think in most cases, in most companies, that's maybe, especially in fashion, that is, that is kind of like the primary driver. And for us, it's almost more like the ambient noise. So um, we're so busy working on the, you know, the physics of the product, the actual, the realities of it, and get so deep into that, that um, they take up almost all of our time. And then, all of the ambient aesthetic um, narrative things that are inferred by our aesthetics and by our presentation and all of that stuff, that's almost like just something that's in the air, you know, floating around. We don't make, you know, there's no mood boards, there's no themes uh, for seasons like most times there is in, in, in fashion. Hmm. Um, if I really think about it, I think we made one, mood board or direction board like in 1999 
when we <laughs> started. <laughs> and that was to explain to someone who we'd never met, actually, that was going to do some work on graphics for us at the time. It's like, this is our references, this is our world. And um, so that's hard for me to comment on because it's so ingrained into what we do. Yeah, I think that it's a kind of a tough one, but at the same time, from an outside perspective, I just get kind of lost in this, like, wow, that's so cool. And, and, and your openness and willingness to show and expose your love and passion for these things. Uh, for example, I, I'm really into cars and, um, there's this guy on, on YouTube. His name's, uh, Larry Ammo NYC is he does these car detailing videos and like okay. Andrew will laugh cause I'm like addicted to them. I watched them for hours. This guy's just cleaning cars, but he's so fucking passionate about it that it's yeah. Just, they are pretty hypnotizing. They cool. are. You're just like I'm gonna go fucking clean my car. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I'm gonna go clean my car. This has to happen, you know. And it's the passion, you know. And um, I, I feel the same thing when I when I'm experiencing when you're releasing something. I'm like, wow, this is so fucking cool. Like he's this. You're really feeling it, and the product really comes through. And I think it's a very important aspect as far as when you make a product, you have to. Really believe in it all the way, hundred percent through and through. You know, absolutely. Yeah, no. That's that's another thing about Akron that I think other people don't realize as well. As I would say, our brand image is much much bigger than our actual operation. So, sure. Um, Which is good, know, though. I think. In yeah, a, in a way, it's good. In a way, it's also it can be misleading because um, <laughs> people don't realize that, you know, like when we decide to like release 14 products, like that, that those were the 14 products we could make. That is it. There's nothing else that could sure. have happened at that time. <laughs> and then it's like, it's almost like, you know, every one of the products that we make and that goes out the door that ships is a little, you know, it's a victory. It's like a, it's, it's a battle that was fought and it would, it's never clear that it's actually going to happen until it leaves the door. And um, it's a crazy way to make things because the, nothing is business as usual with acronym. It's always like the, we're pushing the limits so far and so hard all the time that at any point, um, one of a thousand things can go wrong and a product will not be complete or will not ship or will not pass quality control. And, uh, so yeah, so when you're when you're working like that all the time, you really have to be sure that you want to do something because <laughs> you're committed. There's no other way to get it done. Yeah. And, mm. Yeah. So I think yeah, that probably comes through <laughs> some subconscious level. You guys but, have like uh, you guys have a really interesting like Willy Wonka approach too, which I love too. It's like you guys have this you will keep a secret and then you drop it. And the way that you kind of drop it is a very unique uh, thing as well. And if you're not ready for it, if you're like uh, Andrew was mentioning, you had something about like they won't show a preview or something for the collections, right? They'll just kind of. Oh, yeah. One of the questions from the uh, the Facebook people from the community asked why there was so much secrecy in showing previews of the collections. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Willy Wonka, very, bitch. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's very practical realities to that. And um, I mean, one of the things I, when I look at, you know, at your world and the way, you know, concept art gets done and what I find so fascinating is there's so much exchange as far as, you know, tutorials and, you know, like the, you can buy, you know, reference libraries of parts for three of 3d things that artists have created and put them together and make something new yourself. And, you know, there's so many places to learn, uh, artists 
seemed to me so willing to exchange like this is how I did this, this is how I did that. In fashion, none of that happens. And um hmm, that's you, interesting. Those are closely guarded secrets. And I was thinking about well, why is that? And I think really that comes down to the fact that the infrastructure uh for fashion is so, so critical. So no matter how good your product is or the design, um if you don't have the pipeline to get that thing onto the street, you know, it's basically no one's going to see it. And another company can come along, absorb what you've done basically instantaneously and, and drop it out at, you know, thousands of locations in a matter of weeks or months. Hmm. And that idea is gone and there's no way to get it back. And that kind of thing is the reason that acronym is the way it is. There's no, um, it's such a, it's such a cost labor resource intensive industry that, and it's so cutthroat and the, and the pace is so fast. Um, you know, the way, the way we sell acronym, the way we, you know, develop it and promote it has all evolved. It wasn't never, never really like a, there was no strategic, you know, branding decision. It's like, Oh, we're going to be secretive and we're going to, um, have a you know this website where you, you need a password to get on and log in that was never a plan that was just those were just hard realities of like god how do we actually show this to people uh, show this to the right people so that they can buy it but then not have to travel around the world or not have to make 15 sample collections and um all of that kind of thing so mm. It's a, yeah, it's a smart decision, great. though. It's a very smart yeah. decision. Yeah, that's really interesting, too, because, like, your brand has such a strong voice. Like, it's so defined. So it's interesting to hear that you actually hadn't thought about it as much from, like, a perspective of aesthetics and rather just from... Purely utility. Yeah. And um, I think one of the, the, the first time I realized truly how unusual it was, is this is going to sound crazy, but is when... Uh, I met William Gibson and he kind of fed it back to me, like what we were doing. And I was like, wow, he's right. This is totally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he kind of understood it within about 20 minutes, like way better than I did myself. And, um, and clearly saw that the way the industry functioned was, would actually prevent things like acronym from getting for us to do it, we had basically had to invent our own system. Yep. And, your own uh, path. Yeah. Yeah. And that's full exactly of self-reflection it. and hard work and oh, exactly. mindfulness. Yeah. Yes. And decision-making yes. with pure intention. These are all the ingredients yeah. that I'm pulling. I'm getting from them from you without even knowing you, which is a very fucking, it's a very powerful because if you're able to give me that without me even knowing you personally, then you're doing it really well. I think, you know, from my standpoint as just an outside observer, you know, so that's like the mm, highest compliment I, I could even give at this point. I can, totally, I can totally spit that right back at you. With the, yeah. <laughs> I saw a lost boy. Oh, uh, man. Patients, and I was just like, this is insane. Like, I can't wait to see more of it. We're filming and, uh, it, man. It's coming up here soon. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's amazing. <laughs> that's okay. a whole other I can't wait to that. share it. Yeah, I can't, well, I'll have to share that stuff with you on the off the public years so I can preserve it, you know, because like, as you <laughs> mentioned, too, it's you got to kind of sometimes, I think, reserve and preserve the thing that you have and you're building up. Like Willy Wonka is a good example. I always use that as an example. Like Willy Wonka for me was always 
this guy who was crazy is genius but he'd make these amazing things and in the moment that you open up that world to people it's the same like thing with tom york would say when they release this beautiful gem of an album it was this gem for them and then they released it to the world and and it's like you know you go through all these different experiences for people even um reading or listening commentary with like david fincher and he talks about the many layers of making a film and when you release it how that becomes a completely different entity you know and releasing work and stuff. And one of the things I kind of want to touch on too is I can get why you would want to probably release things the way you do, because there's been a lot of controversy as far as people quote unquote using your work on bigger companies. And I get, we probably wouldn't get into the dirty stuff behind that stuff, but, um, how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, is, are you flattered by that? Are you insulted? Cause there's a lot of money. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of people's time and effort behind these Absolutely, things yeah. that you're making. And then somebody's going to go and blatantly take your shit. And it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and everybody knows it too. You know, yeah. uh, the world everybody knows, knows it. Yeah. Everybody knows it, but there's nothing you can do about it. And it's, yeah. um, it happens a lot in this industry too, obviously. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. It's a crazy one. Um, I remember having another conversation with Michaela about that and, and, going for um trying to decide how to how to grow the company how to promote it and and really realizing that you know the longer that we can stay under the radar the more time we have to get really good at what we do yeah prepared we will be when we actually come up against a company that wants to take you know our chunk of the pie or our entire pie and have it for themselves and um, self-preservation yeah Self-preservation was like the name of the game from day yeah. one because yeah, you know we, we finance uh, operation ourselves. We've never really had a loan. We've never wow. had outside financing. So um, every dollar that went into the company is was very hard won and hard fought and kind of thing you want to give up. And, and for us, there was like there was no plan B. It was like um, that's it. It has to work. So you get super careful with that kind of thing. And, um, yeah. So as you have to be though, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, no other way. it's a very precious thing. And especially when you are that passionate and, and, and loving, uh, about the you know situation of creating. And like you said too, the self-earned, the self-built, the path, um, having that and keeping that really precious and pure to your own self. And, but then watching somebody blatantly bastardize it and, and mass feed it to people is just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> but crazy yeah. Thing, man. yeah. And it's, it's, it's rapid too. So yeah, I think at the beginning, um, that kind of thing really got to me and really upset me. Yeah. And now over time, the longer we work on things, the more we realize it's like at its essence, what you really do yourself, um, it's uncopyable. Yes. They might be able to take aspects of it or, or inspiration from it. And yeah, they might make a lot of money off of it, but you know, can they really do what you do? No. And could they have done it without you there? No. Yeah. And, uh, if your goal isn't to make money, um, then you're fine. You know, if you're, if my goal was actually to be making you know, X amount of turnover or, or flooding the world was, you know, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Though. Yeah. I would be making something else. Number one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then number two, that kind of thing would, you know, obviously bother me more because it'd be a market share, uh, competition, but that's just not what we're about. So, 
Yeah, I think that's a very mature approach. You know, anytime, um, you know, imitations, the flattery, that whole line uh, to a point uh, when you're paying your bills off imitation, it's kind of like it crosses the the border of uh, ethics that are really gross. But I think at the same time, I think it's a really great way of looking at it. You're seeing that, you know what, I'm doing this from a pure standpoint of this is something that I love and I'm approaching it from a standpoint of a very mature person of creativity and understanding my authenticity. And it's a very key uh, ingredient. I have a lot of friends that have been ripped off or be or like their stuff taken from them creatively or whatever. Um, people have exposed them or used their, their stuff and it's gross, but at the same time they, they realize at the end of it, they come to the same conclusion as you. It's like, you know, it's your, you have to be your authentic person, your authentic self, retain that purity. Cause if you lose that, then it's kind of like you've lost an ingredient, you know, and you're Absolutely. letting it affect you. So, so yeah, haters going to hate and haters going to ain't or whatever that saying is <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> uh, I want to talk a bit about some pivotal changing points in your career. Um, do you have any that you can think of right now that were just really unique moments in your life that, um, just something that is a very remarkable moment, something, a gesture that somebody did to you, uh, an email or a note, um, something that kind of just kind of, uh, ha- ha- helped you uh, elevate yourself into where you are now. The first thing that comes to mind with that actually is moving to Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd met my partner, Michaela in Toronto. We were both at university. They're studying apparel design. And after that was over, uh, she was like, I'm going back to Germany. And uh, I was unemployed and couldn't find work. <laughs> it was like, all right, I've never been to Europe. <laughs> awesome. And um, yeah, that was a huge eye opener to to be exposed and kind of immediately just submerge a completely different culture where, you know, I couldn't speak the language, couldn't read the signs, couldn't do anything. And to suddenly, you know, very forcefully learn like, okay, everything you know is wrong <laughs> and uh, I'd have to sort that out. That was a huge, huge thing. And, um, yeah, that's probably the ultimate defining like acronym definitely could not have existed at all, or it wouldn't in the form it does now had that not happened. And then mm. continuing dialogue, Michaela being German and myself, <laughs> uh, being not German, (laughs) (laughs) very different. Yeah. Yeah. Super different, super different. That dialogue went on for, you know, to this day still goes on. That's great. Out of that, uh, we were very fortunate in that respect because, uh, we had different contrasting strengths and weaknesses. So the things that I was really good at, she was terrible at and vice versa. It's the best. And, uh, as a team, we could kind of cover, you know, this huge spectrum very naturally, um, with just the two of us. So when we would talk something out and, and, and discuss it, uh, we can be pretty certain that when we both arrived at the same place or agreed on something that the entire spectrum of possibility had been covered. <laughs> yeah. And that's, a, that's a great like, way to have for partnerships, right? Yeah. It's incredible. It's, um, that's the defining thing, you know, uh, without that, it, acronym wouldn't look at all like it does or wouldn't feel like it does at all to this, day, yeah. to this day how do you keep your partnership so strong um it's pretty easy actually because we've known each other since we were 18 and and you know basically 
we were a couple for ages, like 13, 14 years. Awesome. And, um, and even now we're not a couple anymore. We're still, we still talk every single day and we're really together. Awesome. We're, we're best friends. And, and, uh, and now we have a daughter together, which is also kind of wild. So, How old is your yeah. daughter? Uh, about to turn three. Oh, wow. Still very young. That's when I met my daughter. Super. She's 10 years old now though. Oh, wow. Amazing. It's yeah. a whole different experience. No wonder you don't want to fly so much. I was going to ask you about family too, because that's a whole different experience too. Yeah, it's a trip. It's just, uh, everyone always says, you know, you don't understand until it's your, till it's your own kid. And yes, yeah, you don't understand until it it's your own kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different, um, it's like, yeah, it's like, um, it's like, uh, I could, ex- I, d- I could describe to you what watermelon is until, you know, the end of time. The moment that you taste watermelon, having not t- tasted it before, you go, wow, I've never, watermelon's very unique. It's very different. It's, it's the same thing. It's a very unique experience. It's a very unique, and it's in the form that it's unlike anything else. And when somebody says that, it's an absolute truth. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And, and balancing that and juggling that. So you have a partner who you build business with, and then you also have a child in exchange in the middle of that. I mean, that's a very complex, but at the same time, juggling all that with all your passion. I mean, that's sounds like it's a very tall task to do on a daily basis. Do you have, what's your daily average kind of like process like, or do you have a routine? Um, do I have a routine? That is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably would if I didn't move around so much. Um, and, but because I do, my routine is basically just adapting to whatever's going on. And uh, so I'm sure there is a routine in there, but it's not one where I would be like, yeah, I need to do this and this and this. Because I've just become so good at like, um, like in the most extreme cases, I'll be with my assistant. So we'll be driving on the Autobahn somewhere in Italy in the yes. middle of the night and somebody will be drawing on illustrator in the car (laughs) 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 designing stuff as we're going to the meeting and uh, you know it gets to that level of ridiculousness or we've we've designed um major chunks of collections like at a mcdonald's you know somewhere (laughs) in an airplane and it's like i can work pretty much anywhere by now and um, it's really important to be that versatile though right yeah. It, I mean, it's just not because I want to. You know? <laughs> sure. If you had a choice, would you have just be at an office stationary and do it that yeah, way? Or do you think you get high off that invigorating life, you know, the, the, the chaos of it all? Yeah. I think Michaela and I can both definitely say that when we go to sleep at night, it's like, we've gotten the most possible out of the day. <laughs> That's <laughs> there's great. No, there's no, you never go to, neither of us ever go to bed and like, wow, should have done more today. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. Cause if I think if you have that feeling, I don't know if you're the same as me and sounds like you are a bit of a workaholic as well. Um, but do you feel that, um, is it hard for you to sleep when you haven't fulfilled a complete day? Do you have a hard time with that or do you, have you overcome that? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely will wake up. I'll get back up and go and do something. If I, you know, if it's rattling around in my head, it, it'll, it'll actually get me out of bed and I will actually go and do it. So there's no, um, yeah, I can fully relate to that, that feeling. Do you think by keeping your, um, your kind of sensory open to everything, um, in the universe through and through, it just sounds like, um, do you think that 
helps influence your creative path as far as, oh, wow, I saw this really amazing thing, uh, this piece on this jet. It would be really interesting to use that design um, for this piece right here. Is that, are you constantly taking feedback in from the world around you? Yeah, to the point where now a lot of the times it's the opposite. I almost want to be like, I almost want to shut shut it down or regulate it or filter it more <laughs> because it's just, you know, overwhelming. It's, yeah. It's overwhelming. And, and, you know, to actually, obviously you go through phases when you're, you know, ideating on something and then the more input you have, the better. And then as it gets kind of to the sharper end of the stick where you're implementing, the focus has to be, has to be there. Otherwise it won't get off the ground. So depending on where I am in that cycle, um, you can talk to me about anything or I won't even hear what you're saying to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stoked that you're present here now though, because I could tell you're definitely here in this interview, which I appreciate. So, <laughs> cause I know how the creative mind works. My poor wife has to deal with it all the time. She'll have to tell me the same shit. I don't know, 20 times. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's not that I'm not trying to pay attention. It's just that <laughs> literally there's a fucking space invasion going on inside my mind right now. So exactly. she's like, whatever, yeah. dude, <laughs> my wife is opposite for me. She's a very realistic numbers person. So we clash, but we have uh, at the same time make an amazing team. Cause I'm, That's fantastic, yeah. I'm kind of like a very shitty, uh, on her side of strengths. And so it's like, like your partnership, you mentioned and developing what you guys have created, which is, which is, I always find to be a very unique, um, interesting thing. It's very rare when you have all those ingredients into one person. It's like, um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, do you, uh, are you into studying like prolific people as well to get like feedback and stuff? Do you do that often? Um, yeah, I mean, whenever I'm, you know, whenever I see somebody's work that really inspires me, I definitely do, you know, a background check and 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 try and learn where they're from or what they've done or why. Um, I probably don't spend as much time as I could. I'm I'm realizing that I'm more of a learn it myself, make my own mistakes kind of person. <laughs> but sure. uh, yeah, no. Um, at the same time, you know, I'm obviously fascinated by anyone who's who's able to do, you know, things that are, haven't been done before. And when I do look into that, there are definitely underlying traits that, that recur and that's actually quite heartening. So, yeah. Uh, being proactive is a very important thing for you, I imagine. Right. Yeah. Hugely important. And, uh, you know, you have to, you have to find, inspiration wherever you can and you have to make sure that 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 gas tank of inspiration is full <laughs> always uh, yeah because you you can you can easily burn it out right and um and where do you get that like how what gas station are you hitting besides the traveling <laughs> because everybody has certain like my friend bradley G, G monk he will he's like addicted to pinterest and all that stuff and i'm not that way i have i have like a huge book collection and I pull a lot of muse from all like, you know, artists, Frank Miller or whatever. And then also Amazing. traveling or just the internet itself. It's like, I think I remember hearing in one of your, your interviews, you're just like, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of amazing shit that's happening on a daily basis. I'm like right there with you. Cause I'm like, what the fuck? DARPA's making robotic shit. Like 
You know, yeah. this guy's doing in crazy 3D stuff that's just passing the threshold of Uncanny Valley. I mean, it's like these guys are making this video game. There's these. It's like what the hell is there's there's so much. Yeah, you know, there's so much interesting stuff going on now. I feel like in the last couple of years that the world that I wished I lived in when I was a teenager is like it's happening now, and it's like lucky kids. I, I can't even keep up. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if I was 12 or 13 right now, it would be like. Yeah. Shit. You'd be on Instagram. You'd be completely distracted. You would, you'd, you'd, you'd be one of those VR slugs, man. It's like the, the whole generation coming up. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Completely different beast too. Are you into virtual reality or anything like that? Augmented reality? Is that something that you're interested in moving forward in the future? Yeah. Um, to an extent I'm, I'm obviously from before when, you know, when I was a kid and I was into video games and all that stuff a lot more heavily than I am now. Um, that was a point of discussion that came up between my brother and I constantly. And now it's interesting to see that those things are just starting to kick off and starting to be possible. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting for me now because it's so diametrically, I don't want to say opposite, but it's such a different thing than what we do. The things we do are inherently physical. Like my brother's a, my brother Harlan, he's a, he's a software programmer and a software architect. And the contrast, we, we laugh about the contrast all the time. I'm like, damn, I wish you could download a jacket, you know? <laughs> but you can, though, you can. Apparel, yeah, you got to drive that stuff around in trucks, you know? It's like, there's, no, there's just no way around it. So um, I find that the, the things that are interesting or inspiring to me, the nuances in, in texture or, or material or, you know, even the grain of, of a material it's they're so granular and they're so high resolution that um it's not even worth discussing those things in some context in <laughs> terms of virtual it'll get reality. There. It'll get there. It's just yeah, it's so far away. So I find it interesting to be like, okay, so what is it about these new mediums that are again, you know, what can they do that, you know, the medium I'm working in now can't do at all? And um yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, it's, there's so much interesting stuff going on. A lot of integration. I mean, you could literally design something that was in the physical space, set tracking markers to it, have somebody wear augmented reality, and then they can, they can see a completely different piece or they can change the color and design of it and project it. Cause it all, yeah. you know, the irony of this thing is I, I think it's kind of funny. I don't necessarily believe in it, but the whole simulation theory where we're all in a simulation, that's just based <laughs> off of terminologies and stuff. Like they'll say, you know, an atom, you use the same reference to a pixel, for example, an atom is a pixel. And then the whole universe is a construct and now has a pattern and a rhythm, you know, the Fibonacci spiral, all these kind of things. I'm getting deep, getting in there, <laughs> digging deep into this. Show. I love it though. It's a lot of fun. Cause it's, it's like, why not? There's no saying that it isn't. So why not, why not be curious about it? But as far as going down the idea of augmented reality, VR and stuff for the reason why I asked you is because I know your fascination with technology, um, uh, your desire, I think to, to blend these things, to push forward, to be a trendsetter, um, utilizing different things and pushing them to the forefront. I, I just, I was curious to see, because especially now that I know your brother's into programming and stuff, it'd be interesting to see what you guys would combine some kind of like really interesting, um, 
You never know. It's five years yeah. from now. I'll be, I'll be like, hey, he's fucking doing VR now. Look at the hell. <laughs> there it is. You know, like you could download his no, thing and, and wear it augmented, you know? So it's like interesting. I mind all of that stuff. And it's definitely now for the first time, particularly in the last two years, um, where I'm kind of thinking, um, the technology is about to come into a space where the way we approach things, you know, the physical things we do could translate into, you know, interface design or, um, some other computational metaphor. And, uh, it's super fascinating, you know, the whole, because one of the other things also, because I spent, we both spent some time in Los Angeles, with my brother, when he was setting up his, his company. Um, so we kind of got an inadvertent interface design crash course and, um, and that definitely also influenced acronym in the way we design things because we do look at the apparel as an interface and mm. as a, as a, a connection to your environment, um, both in terms of practical things you can do, you know, I can stay out in the rain, I can move my arm, blah, blah, blah. But also in terms of like your identity and the message that you're presenting to other people you encounter, um, visually and aesthetically and what that means. And now, with wearable technology and so many of these, these spaces that are uh, merging together. Um, I think there's a lot of potential and a lot of really interesting things that will, they're not quite there yet, but um, I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye open in a few things. Yeah. So, yeah. You'd, I, would, I would imagine you would be probably pretty fascinated because it definitely the, de- yeah. the next big push is wearable technology. Um, technology that's malleable. Um, there's also 3D printing, which is fucking fascinating yeah. as well. It's yeah. basically taking the physical world and making it malleable as well, and 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 all, also all the the metrics and the, and the data that you can capture from your daily routines is really interesting too, especially for you know wanting to understand more about what you're doing and having a pattern and a rhythm of numbers to kind of coincide with your understanding of it you know just fascinating stuff though so super fascinating yeah and i mean as an artist you must have the same kind of um relationship to interfaces that i do because you know when people are talking about interface design they usually mean some sort of you know iphone app or whatever and when i think of an interface i'm like show me a better interface than a you know pencil and a piece of paper show me a better interface than a book and show me a better interface than a martial arts weapon. Yeah. These things are so high resolution. They're so, um, proprioceptive and, and they involve all of your senses and all of your, yeah, every organ, every fiber of your body and can take them into no, there's no lag. There's no feedback. So, the only feedback is, is, is uh, I remember hearing this one guy articulating the way we respond to feedback. He was saying, uh, I think it was Deepak Chopra and he's talking about the spiritual laws or something like that. Cause I love, I fascinated with that kind of stuff as well. All these spiritual books, but he was saying that if you were to take a slug and you moved it three, three seconds, you can move it the time okay. it would the, the slug would think it it if it had a consciousness which we don't know because we're not slugs we can't understand that but the slug would have thought it would star trek you know like it basically moved 
Because the way that its signal and its brain reacts to things is is a much longer delay. Yeah. So exactly. the same for us, it's f- much faster. But if yeah. you know, because I'm fascinated with time, because time is everything, really. It's the construct that we all. It's 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 the currency of everything, and how you use it defines you. How I describe. And so, if you were to dig into the aspect of our response time to things, let's say. Um, you're getting punched in the face, you know, and the reaction of your eyes seeing the the punch coming, your eyes telling your mind and then the mind telling your neck muscles and all the fibers changing and the cells adjusting and pushing so that you're barely missing it. The exchange, if you were to stretch that out, let's say over the path of your entire life, let's say 80 years or something, you know, the, the way your eyes see it is that your childhood. And, you know, and so it's tight, you know, like these are the things that I get curious about because it's fascinating shit. Because when you really break things down, you're talking about interfaces, you're talking about like a, a sword, for example, the, the nuances and this, the, uh, the incredible tactile feel of it. What you're saying now is really where I think we're heading as far as when we talk about VR right now, there's a lot of, there's a big bridge, right? There's a big gap. You know, Canny Valley is, is very, um, very much there, but imagine the time when we can go into the simulation, you know, like that's going to be very interesting. And I hope that we can see that because I know we'd geek out on that for sure. You know, (laughs) obviously incredible. Yeah. It must be like a DMT experience or something or an augmented like altered, (laughs) altered state or something, you know? So and I don't know if people can even handle that. Maybe give them too much self-reflection. So, but you see, you seem to be very much a curious soul. Is that something that you've always kept with you since you were younger, or is that something that you've developed as you as you as you designed your life? Because you've very much designed your reality too. That's one thing I want also people to understand is you could have easily, I imagine, with your talents, gone and taken any kind of job and 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 fit into whatever mold that you wanted to, but you've decided to shift and, and force the realities in which that you want. Right. And that's something that's very important. I think about why you're here too, is showing us that you can make your own reality. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case with myself. I like to joke, you know, one of my uh, former assistants, Johanna, she's one of the first designers on our team. She's just left and gone to work um, at Nike and head up their women's design department. And, um, you know, I joke with her that if she's so much better suited to that than I am, if I would be there, I would be fired within a week. <laughs> <laughs> Is that because you're just like all like just doing your own thing and have your own flow? Yeah. I'm just basically unemployable. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that in the same I, way. <laughs> I've, I've created my own reality, you know, out of, you know, desire, obviously, but also just out of necessity because <laughs> it's just no other way for me to operate. Sure. And yeah. But, you know, in all seriousness, though, it's it really has been a case of, um, although acronym does seem like, you know, it is, at the end of the day, it's an apparel brand. It, it's a, a manufacturer and designer of, of, of clothing. Um, but the business model and the infrastructure that's behind it is, relatively unique there's not really another company that operates the way we do and there is no other way as far as we can tell to do what we do and um i very the longer that we have the company the more i respect it and 
you know, at the beginnings, a lot of times we'd be like, wow, this is like, it's our hobby. It's, it's just something we do because, um, there's no other way to do it. And, and I didn't really take it seriously and kind of understand the advantages that we actually had. Um, and now I really see that it's like, you know, because at some point we, we used to joke that it's like, well, if it works for everyone else, it won't work for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, not because we wanted to, we kept trying to do things the way other people did and it just wouldn't work. Hmm. And it took us a long time to realize that what we were doing can't be done that way and that it's fundamentally something else. In hindsight, that's interesting because um, when we first had the idea for Akron, we actually pitched it to a number of different people in the industry that we knew. Hmm. And I think what we didn't realize then is they could see how difficult what we were going to do actually was going to be, <laughs> which is why they were like, yeah, not really. <laughs> no, thanks. Good luck with that. And us being, you know, we just didn't have the experience or the knowledge, which in some, in, in some way was definitely a good thing, but uh, we didn't know that. And the journey of acronym has definitely been that discovery of like, actually, you know what? it can't be done the normal way. We can't manufacture the normal way. We can't sell the normal way. We can't distribute the normal way. And then how do we actually do it and, and developing our own system for it and our own reality for that to actually flourish has been, that's what building the company has been all about actually. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Nike before, and I'm curious about hearing a little bit more about that because you had a collaboration with them yeah. recently, right? Yeah, we've just, uh, we have a multiple projects going on with them now. We do uh, one of their lines called ACG, All Conditions Gear. Mm. That's in its uh, third season now. We come- I have an ACG jacket. Cool. <laughs> Buy it, Andrew. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and just last week we launched our first uh acronym nike lab uh shoe collaboration and yeah that's been super interesting because um the two companies acronym and nike structurally couldn't really be any further apart uh, in terms of scale or operational style or any of that but a lot of the goals and a lot of the the end results, um, you know, there are surprisingly a large number of parallels. So um, you really get to know yourself when you're, you know, standing next to someone else and, and there's this you know, hardcore comparison. And that's definitely been interesting and mm. fascinating. Yeah. It's so gotta your be collaboration choices are pretty interesting too, because recently I saw that uh, your apparel is in the trailer for Deus Ex. Yeah, that's a crazy one, actually. How did that come about? Um, like most of our collaborations, somebody usually just emails us. <laughs> that's like, awesome. Can we talk to someone here? What do you? Can we um, play with your toys? Yeah. <laughs> Sandbox time? Can we? <laughs> exactly. It's just that easy, guys. Look at that. How cool it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we usually say no. <laughs> yeah, of course. Usually, or we just don't answer. That's another. another very. <laughs> thing to do we just actually don't have time so um yeah, that was a cool one it's uh, they had seen our work uh, one of their somebody in their art department had seen us and approached us and again i think they initially thought we were a lot larger than we actually are so 
in the beginning it was like, yes, you guys can, um, you know, pay us money and we'll put your product in the, in the game. <laughs> we <laughs> You're were like, like, Oh no, no, yeah. no. I'm bending reality. Here it goes. <laughs> you pay me. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah no. Um, <laughs> but it was interesting because, uh, at the end of the day there, we just ended up doing what we always do. So we, we actually designed, we ended up doing the coat for the main character. Right. We actually designed it just like we design a real coat. So, um, it was super cool that it was able to, you know, kind of coexist in these two different realities, this one item, um, so right. it's actually super interesting. Yeah. And it was like really prominently featured too. It was like yeah, it was amazing. focus. Yeah. It was amazing. And, um, does that help so, yeah, you with the exposure and stuff? Has that given you uh, a little bit of a window into more exposure? And if so, how, how have your reactions been to that exposure? Um, a lot of people are really excited about it. Um, I'm not sure how much it'll translate into actual sales for us because, you know, acronym is not really an impulse buy. It's, um, yeah, it's a very expensive product, very expensive proposition. It's a, um, it's a, it's a big deal to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a jacket. So I'm not sure that that will translate directly, but you know, the awareness of the brand is definitely going up and, um, it's the same thing with the Nike shoes, uh, because those are a much more affordable product. And it's because they're mass, though. They're such a big corporation, right? They can afford yeah, that because they have economies of scale that just, you know, will never ever come into play for us. Yeah. In the life of our company. And it's super interesting to be able to operate with those parameters within those parameters and, um, and get something out there that, you know, more people can afford. Yeah. And will it translate? I'm sure in the long term, probably yes. But uh, on the day to day, that's you know, generating sales is not the reason we do those things. So sure. Mm-hmm. Which is on the, the subject. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. On the subject of uh, not it not being an impulse buy, one of the things I noticed on your site is that you guys don't really stock the clothes unless it's like a very specific type of store it seems like they all seem to have like a very sort of boutique aspect to them i was just like clicking through the links and yes what's the uh choice like what's the process in choosing something like that at the beginning we were very very proactive about like who we wanted to work with and which stores we thought should carry it and we would you know go to the shop research talk to the owner that kind of thing Mm. and over time it's just evolved into something where we're like you know what these are the terms (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is what we do. If you can live with this, you can try it. And um, But the reason we end up in those types of areas, in those types of shops, is because it's a very difficult thing to sell. It's yeah. a difficult thing to make. It's a difficult thing to, to sell. And um, it takes a lot of explanation. Um, the consumer that buys that necessarily has to be extremely well-informed because it is so expensive and it is it is not a simple thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, we had to search the- quite a bit in Japan. It was Aaron yeah. and Andrew. We were all over the place. We had to go to all these really quite unique. It's like we were getting drugs or something. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had to, like underground. <laughs> like and we go to these yeah. crazy stores in Japan is just amazing. I'm sure as you know, cause you've been there and it's just, uh, just trying to source and find like, okay, do you guys sell this? And they're like, no. And like, where, do you know where we can find it? And we're using Google translate and stuff. And 
<laughs> it was a lot yeah. of fun. It was actually, but the cool thing you know, is um, I really want to di- dive into this aspect because of pricing and sorting yourself out as a top tier item. And I, I think part of you probably isn't, this isn't your intention, but at the same time, it's like, it is so difficult to make these things. You have to source them. They are so unique. It's almost like when Euro makes or Jiro makes sushi, you know, it's like, it's this, it's this experience that you encounter or the guy that washes cars. Like you can, yeah. ha- you can go to Walmart and buy a pair of sh- shorts for $5. Yes, you can. You'll, you'll, you'll probably rip and you're like fucking Walmart. You know, <laughs> Uh, but like but or you can go um there was a really beautiful documentary on fashion i'm trying to remember the name of it i I mentioned a couple times it was it was about fashion and design and clothing and um they were saying how detrimental and bad it is that people are just making um content and things that are disposable almost as you would a, a happy meal um but the problem with that consumption is for somebody like yourself, I imagine when you're creating this is you're, you're having to educate and justify to people. Um, yeah, the next black, I think that is, that's what it's called. And Andrew just sent to me. Um, but when you're making these, these things, being conscious of this thing, making something that's sustainable. Um, but it's challenging though, right? Because you're up against the people that are like, what the fuck? Thousand dollars perish pants, you know? Um, how that's a real, that's a task that, that in itself is a very challenging thing. I know Elon's in, 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 uh, has uh, encountered that many times. Steve jobs did, um, you know, but you're making something of, 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 a of a, of a level that's really unique. So educating people, but it's, um, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Right. I mean, especially today with, with fast fashion, the way it operates, it's, it's definitely skewed people's perceptions of, of value with, in regards to clothing. And you're anywhere in any big city and you're looking up at some advert with, you know, some girl who makes $15,000 a day and she's wearing something and the price tags, you know, $8. And <laughs> the, it seems ridiculously cheap because it is. And, and the real reality behind that is that if you're not paying for it, someone else is. Yeah. And, when you know how clothing is made and you know the process and the people that are involved and the way things have to get shipped and, and sourced and delivered and you know, it's impossible. There's, there is, um, and you can choose to look away and just be like, yeah, I got a bargain. I got 15 new outfits this month or whatever, or you can, you know, make the decision like, you know what, I'm not going to buy that because it's not ethically sound. And, uh, but that comes with a price, a very real tangible price. And, and that's, uh, that's something that not everybody's willing to hear. It's just not a, not anything anyone wants to hear. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So it's a tough one though. It really, it's a really tough market serious, to push too. Yeah. It's a serious, I mean, before that changes, there just have to be some very fundamental societal shifts and, uh, I feel like fashion, fast fashion in particular is like, that's the froth on the waves of, of seriously like deep rooted, um, dysfunctions within late stage capitalism, really. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that is so, it. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, and it's really gross. Um, but it's even like, uh, I was articulating the aspect of, of, of using water bottles, you know, um, I don't really make a bitch about things, but the water bottles is the one, the thing I'm like, why the fuck are you using a water bottle? Get that shit out of me. Like <laughs> I'm real, I'm like Nazi about the water bottle thing because 
it's I've watched a couple of documentaries and I've been educated as the fact of like how fucking gross that shit is and how bad. And even like I was talking about it with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I think we're talking about like water bottles and plastic, like how yeah. freaking gnarly plastic is. Like it's, crazy. it's like, yeah. it's like little baby Superman. It's like they, it'll last the test of time, man. That shit is so gnarly. Um, there's it forever and it's, it's crazy. It's, it's truly frightening. And, that's another thing about that I really appreciate about it, about living in Germany is the level of seriousness that they take and approach yes. and recycling with and an environmental impact. Obviously there's still such a long way to go. Yep. But, um, it's a step in the right direction. I, I really yeah. felt that as well. The consciousness it's, and stuff. Yeah. It's the only place where, you know, you're not recycling your stuff. People are like, what are you doing? Like, it's like, yeah, it's don't. really like, what are you doing? You know, dummy. Don't you know that we can't keep doing this bad yeah, pattern? Yeah. I mean, come on, you know? So uh, the extent to which that's, that's understood here in Germany is, um, is really commendable. And, and I hope that that spreads actually. Yeah. You better be listening, Andrew fucking water bottle <laughs> terrible with water bottles yeah, I recycle them though no but I recycle that's them. that's what everybody says but that's not a good excuse just go get a freaking reusable one man because recycling <sighs> if you look at the root process of recycling it's so gnarly dude the chemicals that are released and stuff is just so nasty there's this uh i think it's called tapped i can't remember um and that's it's, it's all subjective i don't know all the facts but i do know when something's not working and we're talking about fast fashion talking about environmental risks and things like that and building a proper uh, quality product and stuff it's 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 difficult right you're pushing on the fringe of people being comfortable with the decisions that they're making and you're trying to educate them as to what quality is and it's hard to tell you're like well miley cyrus is wearing an eight dollar shirt I fucking love Miley Cyrus. Like I want to be cool like Miley Cyrus. I'm going to go buy that shirt at Target and I don't give a fuck what kid in China or wherever had to suffer and make this thing, you know, yeah, and look absolutely. the other way. And and I think that's just a real bad way of approaching things. I'm not guilt-free from that either. And I try to, on a daily basis, be aware of what I'm doing. I feel like it's, it's a, it's, it's ironic and funny. You know, I go through my, my life, I'm 32 now, but the first 20 years were just kind of, just going through the motions of just becoming a, an, a, 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 an adult male trying to develop. And then now at 30, I'm like, wow, this world is fucking crazy. Like, holy <laughs> shit. Like I'm opening the curtain and I'm like, what the fuck's going on out there? And, I, and I'm slowly becoming aware that I can, I can have little bits of change if I can, you know, try to, um, and try to encourage that within my pocket, my own reality of world, you know, yeah. Preach a little bit without being an asshole too. And a lot, I'm just joking about a lot of this stuff, but just try to be aware of these things. People don't use water bottles all the time. Try not to one mm-hmm. less water bottle, please. Yeah. So, cause that shit will stay forever. Like the test of time, you know? Yeah. It doesn't degrade at all. It's crazy. Mad yeah. Max should have just been a fucking sea of Andrew's old water bottles. They should have just been <laughs> driving on all the water bottles. They'd have been drinking, fucking using water bottle knives and swords and shit. Cyberpunk made out of <laughs> just straight bottles and shit. Cause that's it's what bottle world. Yeah. Bottle world. It's not going to, it's going to have uh, Kevin Costner in it. He's going to be fucking sailing around and bottles and shit. <laughs> Make it Andrew. 
Yeah, I will. This has been. But I mean, I already have all the props. <laughs> yeah, you already have everything you need, dude. <laughs> this has been an amazing interview. I am so stoked. Is there anything that um, you can think of that I, there's? I have many more. There's always plenty of con- conversations to go on this stuff. But is there anything that you can think of that, um, knowing that you're coming on here, that you wanted to make sure you got across that so that we don't end on unfinished business with this interview? No, I feel like we've actually covered a really wide range of stuff. So, I'm, it's you guys impressive. just released your fall winter line, right? Yes, last week as well. Last congratulations! Thank you. Should yeah. that up. Yeah, we'll <laughs> help people go buy it. It's yeah. too consume now, people. Consume. Yeah, it's probably all sold out already. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like U uh, two tickets or something. It's just like our Miley Cyrus tickets selling out. Yeah, it's Miley Cyrus it's tickets. Like water bottles at, at Walmart just shit's fucking gone. <laughs> now congratulations in all seriousness it's that's it's a huge accomplishment because i know from getting to know who you are watching your interview following your career from afar it's been really cool to be able to see um the way you're infusing all your passion and your dedication to your craft and it's uh, it shines through and through so yeah i'm really stoked is there a way for people yeah. that are really interested in, in getting to know more about you what you're interested in what you do do you do the social media thing do you do like i know you're on twitter do you do the instagram like are you active yeah. on those things like um a how can people bit. get access uh, to you yeah twitter is a good one erlsn on twitter and uh erlsn.acr on instagram um uh, don't really have as much time as i would like to devote to those things but will occasionally post some stuff so beautiful there you go people now you can follow and keep up and see what's up and all that stuff but it's been a huge honor and i hope we can continue the dialogue maybe off this thing we could do something fun that'd be a lot of that'd be a fucking that'd be amazing i'd love to actually interview you back (laughs) (laughs) i gotta come out to berlin we'll hang out man exactly yeah we'll go we'll go freaking have some fun out there it's a beautiful place out there but well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. I know the community does too. This has been the, I mean, Andrew was saying the reach on this one has just been huge. So oh, many yeah, people it's were great. So curious. Like the amount of people that have engaged with our posts on this is, I think, like five times as many like of our other posts. You're famous, really baby. Wild. You're oh, shining like a bright star, man. That's, that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, so good in, dude. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. And that does it for this week's episode. Big thank you to Errolson for coming on and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to Errolson's work and all of the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectedpodcast.com slash 122, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.